Guys, I am uh, I'm so excited to be with y'all here tonight, really for a lot of reasons. You know, one, a little bit selfishly, um, City Church has a lot that me and my team can learn from. You are a church in a context that I think is going to be similar to the context that Mercy Hill Church is going to be planted in, coming from similar roots. So we're excited about that. But the other thing is, the other reason I'm really excited tonight is because um, I really couldn't love and care for and respect y'all's pastor more. And um, just knowing that he is behind us really means the world to us. I was telling him right before we got up here, uh, right before you know, the, the service started tonight, that um, I know that y'all have been planted for a while, for six months. But for me, here standing on this stage, it really is kind of the culmination of a lot of things that God has done in the lives of me and Trevor even together. Um, hundreds, probably literally, of hours talking about what God was doing in our lives. And now to be able to um, kind of learn from you guys and be planted in sense from y'all. Um, is really exciting for us, all right? So anyway, we're pumped to be here. I want you, if you, go ahead, if you have a Bible, to go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Um, as y'all are finding Luke chapter 5, I want to I tell you kind of a quote that I heard a few months ago about the way that things stick in our minds. And I think it's really true. You know, a lot of times it's not a book that can change your life. It's not even a chapter of a book, or even a paragraph, but sometimes it's that one kind of sticky sentence that just sticks in your brain and kind of doesn't want to go away. I had one of those sticky sentences happen to me about three weeks ago from our pastor, a pastor in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, of the Summit Church, where he asked us as a congregation, he basically was talking about our willingness to share our faith and our heart for sharing our faith and seeing God change lives And he said to us, he said, if God saved everybody that you asked him to save in the last seven days, how many people's lives would he have changed? And I thought to myself, you know what, I can can one-up my own pastor in that. Because here's what I can ask us here tonight, and that's this. If If you just had the Midas touch all of a sudden, and God just anointed your hand, and every single person that you didn't just pray for, but every person that you shared with, God would change their life on the spot. If that had happened to you for the last seven days, and me for the last seven days, who else would be added to this number? And who else would be ones that are on their way to heaven here tonight? I think that's a sentence that kind of sticks with me. And for a lot of y'all, you know, that's that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about mission and things like that tonight. I say that sentence to some of you, and there's probably three reactions we get. The first reaction is that many of you are on board with that to the point where tonight's message is nothing more than just pouring fuel on the fire that you already have. Now, for some of you, I ask that question, and your immediate response is, well, I didn't pray for anybody or talk to anybody about a faith because I'm not there. (laughs) I'm not a believer. I'm here tonight And I'm just checking this out, and I'm not really in that kind of whole thing yet. And that's great. We're glad that you're here. I want tonight's message for you to be one where I could just ask you very clearly to suspend some of your skepticism maybe tonight. Just hear what the Bible has to say about us sharing our faith with each other and us sharing our faith with the world. But the third type of person really is kind of what spoke to my heart when our pastor put this on us, and maybe you, is the type of person who knows that they are a believer in Jesus Christ and has been saved by his grace, but are struggling with that point of then pouring out that grace on the lives of others. And maybe that last seven-day question is hurts. It's like when we don't want to think about it, it kind of rests on us because we know what the answer would be, and it probably wouldn't be good. 
And so tonight's message really is talking about some of maybe those excuses that we have. I started thinking about some of these excuses that we have, about maybe having a, a, an answer that we wouldn't be proud of for that last seven-day question. And maybe some of these reasons are the ones that we all struggle with. Maybe one of them is just an embarrassment issue. I'm a little bit embarrassed and shy about sharing my faith with someone. That's me. Trevor and Kiva know me pretty well. I get embarrassed really easily. Like if I'm watching an American Idol audition that's not going well, I turn the channel, okay? I, if, if someone's telling a story and it's really embarrassing, I'm like trying to crawl under a table for their sake. That's how embarrassed I get. So I, I understand that. Maybe you think um, people are just, there are people in my life that are just too far from God. His arm is not long enough that it could actually reach them. They are that far from God. Maybe some of our excuses are that we just think, man, in our culture, maybe if we went somewhere in the eastern hemisphere or something, maybe it would be more acceptable to share about spiritual things, but not here, not in Murfreesboro, not in the south. It's just not something that we talk about. Maybe you're a little bit fearful of being rejected because people might think you're absolutely crazy and off your rocker. We, had, um, we have a guy right here on our team named Tony. Tony was saved out of a radical kind of past, you know, radical kind of far from God background. And he actually was this biker dude, you know, bars and, and fights and all this kind of stuff. Well, about two weeks, bef- two weeks after he became a Christian, he got a really bad motorcycle accident. And so a lot of his friends hadn't even seen him since he had become a believer, and so he wakes up from this motorcycle accident a month later, all tore up, head injuries, all this kind of stuff. And he's talking about believing in a dead guy who raised from the dead, who is now ascended and sitting with the father, who's going to come back and get us one day sitting on a white horse. And they're like, dude, you're actually crazy. They really thought something was mentally wrong with him. And I think, you know, maybe we, you know, that's just kind of funny, but maybe some of us are fearful of that. Here's my thing I want to get to tonight, all right? All of these are valid. All of them are based on idolatry. All of them are based in unbelief in some form. But a lot of these excuses we have about sharing our faith, they go away when we answer the ultimate question. And the ultimate question is, who actually saves? See, when we get to that question, some of this stuff, even though it's still there, my embarrassment issues, all that kind of stuff, it starts to get really small in our life when we realize that it's not on us, that we're part of a plan, but it's not on us. It's on God to save. And it comes down to that question. He is the author and finisher of salvation. God is the one who is about this salvation deal, and it really is his business. And so what I want to do from Luke 5 is to show us a scenario where Jesus taught some people this issue, and he used a pretty awesome example to do it. I think once we get that, I think once we see that Jesus is the author and finisher of salvation, it can kind of turn us into kind of the wild-eyed, 100 miles an hour with our hair on fire type of gospel-speaking person that I think all of us want to be if we truly have tasted of God's grace. All right, so Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 starts out, it is a parable. It's a kind of a, I'm going to explain it real quick, guys. It's it's, it's kind of a real-life parable. If you don't know what a parable is, a parable is nothing more than a story that illustrates some point or truth, okay? This is something we do with our kids all the time, all right? Think about this. I've got, I've got a two-year-old little girl, when, a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl. When she gets a little bit older, I will tell her the story of the boy who cried wolf, right? We all know that story. Now, if I told my little girl the story of the boy who cried wolf, and I said, baby, what was the point of that? And she said, well, the point of the story of the boy who cried wolf is that wolves like to eat sheep. I would say, child, you are very astute. You are my child, after all, okay? 
But that's not quite, you see, the story isn't about anything other than not lying. That's the point. It has one point. That's what Jesus is going to do here. He's going to use this story in these guys' lives about catching a bunch of fish in a net, but really it's not about that. Really it's about his authority to save. Now Jesus did this kind of thing all the time. If you remember back in the Bible at all, if you've been studied in the Bible very much, he used stuff like this all the time. He would turn water into wine, but really he was talking about the Holy Spirit. He would feed a bunch of people in a crowd, but really he was trying to get at the fact that he himself was the bread of life, right? If you look in John 6 and Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the reality is, if you read it, the sun is just coming up behind him and the darkness is fleeing before it. And then he says, I'm the light of the world. That's what Jesus is going to do here. It's no different. He's going to use a story and he's going to say, now you've seen the story. You know who I am. I'm the author. I'm the finisher. Salvation is mine. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All right, let's dive in. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, it's going to be up here on the screen. Let's just read the first three verses together. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the words of God, he was standing by the lake, and he saw... I'm not even going to attempt the word, okay? And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and started teaching the people from the boat. Now, I want to just walk through this story, right? The story is 11 verses, but as we walk through, I want to just point out some stuff, not the main points, but kind of just some stuff I've seen in this text, and then we'll get at really three main points that I want you to see, all right? The first thing I want you to see is this. He steps into Peter's boat. Now, this is going to become the Peter who is the disciple, the leader, the preacher, the evangelist, that Peter, all right, of the Bible. That's whose boat he happens to get in. Now, a small point here is that we need to realize that with God, nothing is haphazard. Nothing just happens in our life. He is working all things in his sovereignty for us. Even things that seem minuscule are not because God is not haphazard. He is not random. I told you, right, I got, I've got a, a little girl. I have the cutest child. I actually have two children, but one of them is so cute, okay? She is this little girl that I have, all right? Now, these two kids, I, the other one's a boy, so I just kind of rough him up. He's a little knucklehead, right? So these two kids I have, I have these two kids because I have a wife, and I have a wife because I got married, and I got married because I got engaged, and I got engaged because I started dating this woman, now, the way I started dating her was that one day we were in college, and she was standing up on this bleacher with our basketball, because we had a basketball game that night, and I had one of these air bazookas. I don't know if you guys have seen these things, like in the mall, but they shoot like a ball of air, and they'll shoot it like if you had a candle in the back, you could shoot a ball of air that would, knock the, that would, you know, that would blow the candle out from the back of the room. I don't know how it works, but it works, Okay. So I have this thing, and we're in the gym, and we got, these, we got like a whole system set up. These guys are kind of shielding me, and I'm kind of walking around. And I shot her. She was about five rows up on this bleacher, and it knocked her hair over her head, and she almost fell off the bleacher, right? I mean, it, it probably would have killed her, to be honest with you. So she, she hits it. Next thing you know, we fall in love, okay? So I, I you know, kids, engaged, you know, married, all that stuff. Because we started dating because I had this bazooka. The Christmas, before I had the bazooka, my sister's walking through the mall, and she buys me the bazooka. What if she would have bought me a video game? (laughs) Like, my mind just gets blown. No kids, the butterfly effect. I'm probably homeless, like shooting heroin or something right now. I don't know what would have happened. I have no idea. Here's the point, y'all. All of this stuff that is going on in our lives, God is working through it. 
And it, does, it might seem kind of random for us. Here's why you need to hear that. I don't know why you're in this room here tonight, but I want you to know that it's not random. And God is working his sovereignty. It isn't random that your neighbor moved in next to you and invited you to come here. It's not random. It's not random that some person moved in next to your cubicle and they gave you an invitation to be here. It's not random that you happen to see this church online on some kind of ad. God is working these things. It's not random that you reconnected with an old friend that happened to tell you about City Church and you being here tonight. It's not random. God is working something in your life. I can guarantee you that. You know, there might be some of you guys in here. I was here for um, some prayer that we had before this service tonight, and I heard some very hurtful things that people are going through. And I can't tell you how that stuff's going to work out, but I can tell you, and you might need to hear tonight, that it's not random, and that God is working things through it, all right? There is nothing random with our God. I want you to hear that. All right, so here's the thing. Jesus is teaching the people at this point in his ministry. As you see, he is rock star Jesus. The people are like pressing in on him, and he jumps out in the boat, and he, and he goes off to shore. So he's teaching the people a little bit, all right? Let's read the next few verses, verse 4 and 5. And we had finished speaking. He said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, and he said, and this is where the story starts to get kind of the thick of it, all right? He says, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We've been casting these nets over and over and over all night long, and we don't have one fish. But at your word, I will let down these nets. I don't know if many of y'all in here love to fish. I kind of I judge guys when they walk in the room if they're wearing boots or not. They probably are fishermen. But I, I don't know if you guys are that. I love to fish. I love to go fishing. There's a lot to fishing. You have to think about baits and lures and currents and climates. There's a lot to it. Now, here's the thing. This is the point. The point is that a guy who fishes for fun knows a lot. I would say I'm kind of like a hobby intermediate. I know a lot about it. If this is what I did for my job every single day of my life, I would know a ton about it. And my point is this. Peter is the expert here. He's the expert. Here he comes, but then Jesus comes along who's a carpenter by trade. He's not a fisherman. He builds things, but he comes in and he starts telling the fisherman how to do his job. This is a, it reminds me a lot, I know everyone in here is probably not a Seinfeld fan, but if you're a Seinfeld fan, it reminds me a lot of the episode when Kramer, is the, he's got the police scanner radio, and he's trying to tell the people of the fire department that they're taking the wrong routes around the city, and then he ends up getting on the fire, getting on the, the, you know, the fire truck one night and just like blows the whole thing up. It's kind of like that idea. It's him, it's him trying to tell these guys who are experts, they know the city, how to go. That's exactly what Jesus is kind of doing here. And now here's the point. You know, Peter has a little bit of an objection to it. Now, he just kind of throws it out there, and he just says, Jesus, you know, we're going to do it because you said, but I'm just telling you, I'm the expert, and I threw the nets out all night. And I think, isn't that exactly what we do? We are the experts so much about our life. Hey, Jesus, I'm the expert here. I don't know what you're doing, but I know what I'm doing because I'm the expert. I can see this playing out. Maybe it's not about fish, probably. But probably what it is about for us is, hey, God, I spent all this time getting my degree, and now you're going to call me into going into some kind of vocational ministry? That's crazy. I'm the expert. You know, you say, hey, God, I spent all of this time preparing to get the heck out of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and you're calling me to be a part of City Church here in Murfreesboro. I'm the expert, right? You think to yourself, you know, I've spent my whole life you know, for, for I spent maybe, my, maybe, when, maybe I spent my whole life building this 401k and all of this stuff so I can retire and play for the last 30 years of my life. 
and now you're calling me to invest in kingdom work. I'm the expert. But you know what? I think even in our life, we get a lesson, a little lesson from Peter, and then we're going to move on. There comes a time when even though the objection is probably valid, there comes a time that when you're dealing with God, the objections stop, and the need just kind of bows. And we say, you know what? I'll submit to that. Ironically enough, here's the thing. The objection Peter has, and the objection probably that we have, is, hey, I'm the expert. I know what I'm doing. We want to hold that because we think it's going to equal a full life for us. But as we see in these next few verses, letting go of those things and following God ends up being a full life and ends up being his blessing on our life. Verses 6 and 7. So they put the net down. It says this in verse 6. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that the boats began to sink. Now, there's so much going on here, but I just kind of got to get through. I just got to move really quick, all right? First, it's simply an undeniable point. The point is this. Peter, you fished all night your way. Now, I... And and I said to fish my way, okay? If this was a fishing contest, Jesus just beat Peter like the Patriots beat Tebow, okay? That's about, that's too soon for me, okay? I shouldn't have done that. But you you guys see what I'm saying, right? It's just, it's an absolute, there's no way, it is so lopsided, it's really a thousand fish probably to zero fish. Secondly, and I want you to see this, y'all for Peter, and we're going to get to this in a minute, this is probably the biggest paycheck he's ever had. That's what God is doing here. He is setting up this idea of, hey, all the stuff that you have, all of this that you want, that you are chasing, have it. Take it. There it is. Or you can follow me. And he's setting this up for Peter, and we're going to see what he does in verse 8. All right, let's finish, the, let's finish the story out. But when Simon Peter saw it, when he saw what had happened, the miracle that it was, he departed and he fell down before Jesus. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. With the catch, Peter is faced with leaving his security in the fish and following Jesus. But I think at this point, and this is kind of the point, after you have seen what Jesus can do, you're going to want to say what Peter said later in his life, which is, Jesus, you have eternal life. To whom else can I go? All right? That's the story. I got three kind of big things that I want you to see from it. The first one is this, if you're taking any notes. The first thing that we all need to see together, here, here I said this morning, sorry, here tonight, is this. Jesus has the authority and the power to save. Now, the point being there is that it's not anybody else's. Jesus has the authority and the power to save. Peter is given this new occupation. You, you fished for fish, now you're going to fish for men, all right? But the story is intended so that as Peter moves into his new occupation, he will forever have branded into his mind whose authority by which he goes out to do his fishing for men. And who is the one who has the power to actually rein in the catch? It's so that he won't get this twisted. It's so that he won't kind of turn it back on himself. Jesus has the authority. Jesus has the power. It is salvation that belongs to God and no one else. This word that we see in Greek for catch is something like what we would say as like a plethora, an abundance, right? 
If you go in the book of Acts and you see the, the word that they are using as they are seeing multitudes come to Christ, it's the same word. They are now catching men. But here's what I want us to see. The point is that Jesus has the authority and the power to save. But so many times we twist things here. And although Jesus has given us the examples that we need to burn into our mind, who actually saves and whose authority actually it is, sometimes we get this stuff twisted in our mind and we constantly make it about us and our own ability. But y'all, really the thing is, we do that about evangelism, we do that about sharing Christ with people and our neighbors. We, we, we make that about us because in reality, everything at our heart's core we try to make about us. Because at its core, the fall has kind of given us this sense that, hey, we want to be the center of the universe. I think about that little child I have who, if I'm in a conversation with somebody, She'll walk up on my knee, you know, and start kind of grabbing me and start kind of, and she'll say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And I just, and, and I can't, and so finally I have to just look at her and say, Baby, what is it? She has nothing to say. <laughs> nothing. She just doesn't want me to be engaged with anyone else. She doesn't want me looking at anyone else's direction. She wants that attention for me. We're all a two-year-old at heart a little bit. Because the reality is we want this whole thing to be about us. And guys, it affects our witness because in the end, we, we want this to kind of rest on our words and our ability and our heart's willingness to go out and do the things necessary to see the catch come in. Because if it's about us, then in the end, the glory and the reward is ours. I think often, you know, we talk about the struggles and, and I'm sure Trevor talks about this often from this, um, from this stage, is the struggles that we have with, you know, trying to even save ourselves, not trusting God's grace even for our own salvation, but working out self-salvation projects. Y'all, at the heart of it, it's the same reason that we want to trust ourselves with our ability to go out and evangelize and to, and to share our, our faith with the lost. Because at the end of the day, a lot of times we don't want God's grace for us and we don't really want it for anyone else either. But y'all, God has saved us from that. His salvation has saved us from that. In our own salvation, we have seen God's grace overwhelm us with his goodness. And we spend the rest of our lives trying to remind ourselves of that. And reading in the scripture about that. And hearing sermons about that goodness that he has overwhelmed us. And the grace that he has lavished upon us. Because we are so prone to forget it. Calvin said that we were partly unbelievers all of our lives. And it's because we continue to forget the grace that God has given us and say we're going to do it on our own in our own salvation. And it is no different when it comes for us sharing the gospel with other people. We simply forget that it is Jesus who has the authority and the power to save and we shift it to be on us. You know in Luke 4, this is interesting if you have your Bible, it's not going to come up on the screen. But in Luke 4, Jesus is standing kind of in a situation like this at a church. And he has the ability to stand up and be the one who reads the scripture for the people. And he stands up and he finds this little spot in Isaiah that says this in verse 18 and 19 in Luke 4. This is what Jesus reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's jubilee. And then he sits down 
And you know what? The point of this is really the point of and the core of salvation. It is that, look, what Jesus is recounting here from the scriptures is not a bunch of stuff that we are going to do. It's not a bunch of stuff that we have the authority and power to do. You and I, in our wildest dreams, cannot restore sight to the blind, nor should we try. All we can do is beg the one whose authority that is, which is God's. Jesus stands up and proclaims these things to say, y'all, at its core, salvation isn't about what you can do. It's about what God has done. And it's that way for our salvation, but it is that exact same way for the salvation of others. See, when we don't get that, we become frustrated. When we think that it is about us and our words, and we go out in our own authority, we realize that we are sharing, and it is to no avail sometimes. And you know what? We take that personally, and we get frustrated, and we just kind of want to quit. Because the reality is, we start to think, this is impossible. It is impossible. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 shows us that it's impossible. If you think about Ephesians 2, where the scripture says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we need a God to come and to raise us to new life, we start to realize that as we are walking out and we are sharing our faith with people, we're not sharing our faith with people who are sick and need to get better or who are bad and need to be good. We're sharing our faith with people who spiritually are dead. There's no doctor for that. There's only a savior for that. Only someone who can speak life over us. It's not us. It's Jesus and his authority to save. And when we start to get that, this whole deal about going out and sharing is very easy for us. And it stops being so scary because it's not on our shoulders. You know, I think when I heard these analogies when I was young, I used to hear the analogy about salvation, about, you know, giving and sharing Christ. And this is what people would say. They would say, imagine it's like a sea of people that are bobbing, and they're just, they're just about to drown. And it's kind of up to us to throw them a Jesus life preserver, kind of. That's not the right analogy. The right analogy is that they were dead laying on the bottom of the ocean. And, they, and, and we need to just beg God that, some, that he will go down and grab them and give them new life and raise them all the way to the top. When we get that, when we see this, that Jesus is the one who has the authority and the power to save It's something freeing for us. And you know what? Even if you're not one who is kind of in that mode right now, you might be, even though you didn't know it. That was me. Let me give you a little story, all right? Two months ago, I was um, on a trip to Southeast Asia, okay? A uh, super predominantly uh, Muslim part of the world. And and we, we led a trip over there just to try to love on people and to share Christ with people. And here's the catch, okay? We got there. Man, we traveled for 48 hours to get there, the most remote place I have ever seen that is probably even ever in the history of the world is where we were, okay? And we get there, and we've traveled all this way and and done all this stuff, and I've been planning this trip for six months, and we get there, and I realize, just very candidly with you, that the translators they have for us aren't going to be able to do it. They They don't have enough English to be able to translate well. What they can do is they can share the gospel really well. And so then what we realized is that what we were really probably going to do is we were going to try to kind of get in a conversation, and then we were just going to kind of shut our mouth and step to the side and kind of pray for what was happening. The thought ran through my mind, great. I came all the way to Southeast Asia. All I'm going to do is pray. At that moment, I said, you know what? I get what I really believe. I really believe that it's up to my persuasive speech and my compassion and my power to raise somebody, but it's not. And you know what I find in my life at the times that I am not being very 
evangelistic and wanting to share my faith with people, a lot of the times it goes back to the, to the thing that, you know what, I don't want to be a failure and I don't want to, it's because I've forgotten who's actually doing the saving, all right? Jesus has the authority and the power to save, okay? The second thing I want you to see tonight is this, and if you have your notes again, you can write this down. It's this, it's a very simple truth that you see from this story. Before we fish, we follow, all right? Before we're fishers, we're followers. Now quickly, I want you to see what I said. It's before we fish, we follow, not that we fish in order to follow. I think a lot of us get this kind of thing twisted where we realize that, that being a follower is wrapped up in doing all of this stuff. And one of those things that we do is to go be a fisher of men. We read our Bible. We come to city church. We tithe. We do all of this stuff. And, and oh, yeah, man, I got to check this little box and I got to go out and share my faith with people in order to be a follower. That's not it. The behavior of followers is to be fishers. That's kind of a more, uh, you know, that's kind of more of a picture of what we are getting. See, with the catch, Jesus is making a point here to Peter, and I kind of mentioned this earlier. It's this. Everything that Peter is following in the world and chasing after in the world is really wrapped up in this catch, if you can kind of think about it. It's really hard to think about your 401k as being a bunch of fish. <laughs> I know that. But that's kind of what you can... All of Peter's life is wrapped up in this. His future is wrapped up in this. His identity is wrapped up in this. His savings is wrapped up in this. His history is wrapped up in this. Everything that really probably makes Simon Simon is wrapped up in these fish. And he just got the greatest catch he has ever had in his life. And this whole story plays out so that Jesus is saying, look, you can have all of these things that you're after fulfilled in the world. Or you can turn your back on them and you can follow after me. And you remember in verse 8 that we read, Peter has this realization that when he stands in the presence of a man who can do these type of miracles, if you remember what he says, his reaction is, I am a sinful man. See, here's the key. The key to becoming a fisher is, is following. The key to following is the realization that all of this stuff that is wrapped up in the world, all of this stuff that is represented by this huge catch, starts to look strangely dim in light of a greater reality and a greater gift. And maybe when, a, maybe when a need surfaces in our life that we didn't even know that we really had. See, here's the thing. Peter sees this miracle and he realizes he is standing in the presence of God and his reaction is, I am sinful. The need of his life has surfaced. The greatest need that he ever had has surfaced. And the need of a savior has surfaced in his life. See, it becomes really easy for Peter to walk away from all of this stuff that he has wrapped up in these fish when he realizes, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation, and you have it. The greatest need I have can be fulfilled in the greatest gift that you can give. Sure, I'll follow you. I don't know where you're at here tonight. I don't know. I don't know where you're at on this issue. I don't know what you're chasing in the world. I don't know what you brought in here that you are just thinking that if I can get this, I will be fulfilled, and this is my future, and this is my security, and this is my identity. But what I want you to see is in the presence of a holy God, a strange thing wells up in us where we realize, I'm sinful. And when we realize that we are sinful, we realize that ever, if we are ever to be ushered into the presence of a holy God, we need a Savior. You know, at its core, that's kind of the gospel message. And Jesus is going to continue to flesh this out for these guys. But at its core, it's this, is that you are a sinner. And because you are a sinner, you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. 
And what that represents in your life is that you have death reigning over you. All of our sin has created a situation where we are spiritually dead in this world. We have turned our back on God and we have walked away from him in rebellion. But Jesus Christ, his own son, would come in the flesh and he would live his entire life without ever sinning one time so that at the end of his life when he should have reaped reward, rather than that, he would go to the cross and take a death that you and I deserved. Jesus lived a life that we didn't live but he died a death that we deserve so that in his resurrection, we could be raised to new life with him. Our sin created a situation where we had death reigning over us. And if if I can be honest with you, we kind of owed God the breath that he gave us. We owed that back to him in death. But Jesus came back and took death and canceled our debt. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've ever done with that truth. But here's my fear. My fear is that maybe some of us in this room kind of are are wrapped up in all the stuff and what can I do and maybe I should be a fisherman and and tell me what to do next and all that when the reality is maybe you're not a follower yet because if you really get down in your life, maybe there's a lot of these things that you're chasing in the world that if you really see your need for a savior and you really see that in the presence of God you you have that need but he has the remedy that you would turn that stuff over and you would follow him. Maybe tonight would be the night for you And salvation, I don't know. Maybe you would cry out to God and you would say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you have salvation, save me. I would love to talk to you about that. Better yet, Trevor would love to talk to you about that even here tonight, all right? So the first two things we've seen, the last thing is this, the last thing that I want you to see. All believers are fishers of men, all right? And the key word there is the word all. All believers are fishers of men. See, I said we follow before we fish, but after we follow we actually then go fish because all of us are called to this. All of us are called. Every single follower of Christ is called to go out and to be a fisher of men. We see that in the Great Commission. We see that in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, hey, the authority has been given to me. I am sending you out to make disciples. But here's the question. You know, I I raised that question earlier in 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 the very introduction, the first five minutes of what I was talking about. The question before us was, if we're not doing that, what do we have to do? Why is that? Well, here's the thing. When I say, how do we end up going about and being fishers of men, the question is really actually pretty simple. What we do is we remember all that God has done for us. Again, that key word, all. All that he has done for us. That he has not only saved us, but he has sent us. And that his promise is sure. What Jesus says here in Luke 5 is not, hey, go out and try to be a fish. He tells them, now you're going to fish. I have made that in you. You are following me, and because you are following me, I have created this in you. Remember God's grace to you, and it will flow out of us. We will see that he has sent us to a lost and a dying world. When I say we are all witnesses, y'all, that gets a lot easier for us and a lot less scary for us when we remember and trust and realize that it is God's work. He has saved us, and he has sent us. And when we see that and we trust in that, it is easier for us to go out and take on this mandate that is for us all. Now, guys, you are a church plant. I'm about to be planting a church. You hear much about church planting. Church planting is nothing more than a realization that we are all to go fishing. (laughs) That's really it. It's finding a strategic pond 
and going fishing and realizing that it is for all of us. That's kind of our story. You know, my story is a lot, a lot like Trevor's story of coming out of a great church who kind of recognized some stuff in us and said, hey, why don't you raise up and just grab a bunch of guys around you and go plant your lives in a new city and go fishing there. Planting churches, we believe, is God's ordained strategy for the world of making disciples and fishing for men globally on the huge scale. But here's the thing, and this is the key. The key thing to church planting that I love, it teaches us a principle that goes across the church and across every believer's life. And that key principle is this. It is not that churches are planted by people who are superstar type of people or whatever. Churches get planted and people get shared with just because people simply realize that God has saved us and he has sent us. And it is his authority by which we go. We have all of these stories from our church plant that are much like many of the stories of probably the people who are in this room. We've got stories of people who are accepted into PhD programs who when I said, hey, come plant a church with me, they said, okay, I'll table it. People who are selling houses and renting houses. People who, even though they might be a little bit later in their 20s and early 30s, even though they're single and want to be married, they still say, you know what? I'm okay with leaving my social networks now because I want to go plant this church Maybe people who say, I want to uproot my life and move into maybe a poorer neighborhood, a more violent part of a different city because I want to go fishing there. We think, what, what is all of this? It's not that they're super Christians. It's not that God gave them some sort of dream. It's not that God spelled something out in their Cheerios one morning. It's that Jesus told them to go fishing. And for in our case, they said, hey, Greensboro looks like a very strategic pond. And so I'll go there. Now, here's my question for you. You're planted in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that is an extremely strategic pond. I'm not asking you what you're giving up to go be a fisher of men. All I'm asking you is, are you a fisher of men right now or not? I talked about three kind of types of people. People who are going to be fueled by this because they're already on it. People who maybe just don't get it. Maybe you understand a little more of the gospel presentation now after that. But then there's people who, you know what? We get it, we're believers, but something is kind of holding us back. Maybe it is that once we trust in the authority of Christ to save, we will be ones who will want to go. And so then I would just ask you, that if that's where you are, and God has confronted you with that here tonight, who are you going to pray for on your way to work tomorrow? Who is it? Who is it that you are going to invite to lunch this week? What restaurant is it that you could start going to every Friday night for the next three or four months in order to learn one waitress's name or one waiter's name? Stop flipping back and forth between Target and Walmart and just pick Target and pick the same line every time at the same time of week. Same person's working there. We can get this stuff going in our mind. When we realize that it is God's mission, he is going to be the one to save. We can go out free to think and to run 100 miles an hour after his mission for us. Here's the thing, y'all, and I'll close with this. I want my life to be one that has reflected the work of sharing Christ and the work of an evangelist. But you know what? Sometimes I think I have that, but then sometimes I don't realize that what I do with my minutes turn into what I do with my hours, and what I do with my hours turns into the rest of my life. So what do we change about our minutes and our hours even this week going forward? it's God's mission and we are a part of it, what do we change this week? I hope that's challenged you a little bit here tonight. 
And I hope maybe we go forth from this place renewed in God's mission. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have together tonight. Um, God, and I pray that for whatever reasons that we have brought into this place, for the reasons, um, God, that maybe are holding us back from the mission of God, um, God, I ask that you would just unearth those in our heart, but let us see probably at their core they have to do with maybe an unbelief in who actually is the one who is saving. Father, we believe from this story that Jesus Christ has the authority and the power to save Father, I pray that you would use us going forth in belief um, to save those who are lost on the outside. In Christ's name we pray, amen.